Look, for all the younger listeners. Here comes the PSA. I'm just saying, I'm saying that smoking is objectively cool, right? Or is that, does that just like age me too, right? <laughs> no, I mean, I, I think I think it is so objectively cool that there was a period of time in American cinema and TV when smoking yeah. was so anathema. This was after the, I think it was the 90s, the big um, tobacco settlement that was 200 and whatever, $50 billion that they had mm-hmm. to settle. And they launched all of those programs, you know, with the like, um, the truth campaign, you know, where it was like the sort of yeah. intense punk rock things. And that really did uh, have an effect it on teen smoking. It dropped yeah. crazy. And consequently, yeah. you didn't see him smoking or doing anything in TV on, or in films for a yeah. long time. You wouldn't think that it even existed in that world. Or if it was a person who was smoking, they were the most abhorrent and disgusting villain. But then now... Yeah, that, that's how you know. It's like, it's like stepping on a little finch. That's <laughs> exactly. how you know that, particular, <laughs> that, that guy's bad. Yeah. It's an economical storytelling device for sure. I, I, what's interesting is that these is that obviously I, this is <laughs> this isn't going to be all we talk about. The preeminence of vaping is really a thing, wouldn't you say? You know, but like, <laughs> I need some advertisers. Maybe you know, kids maybe like the vapes. Yeah. You know what's interesting though is that like uh, a jewel now, like kind of the, the you know the yeah. sort of the big vape for folks maybe 35 and up or something like that just because of the time when like the jewel was popular and that's when folks and like people around your and my age were probably getting hooked on them that thing now if you pull out a jewel around some 20 year olds like you might as well pull off pull out like a gandalf pipe you know what i mean <laughs> <All> right <laughs> like it's like stroke your beard and sit on a big toadstool and like you know tell them about the journey wow a stream of consciousness news podcast with Stephen Jackson and Brandon R. Reynolds. You think that just like with the bell bottom or the grunge top or yeah. high waisted jeans or those crazy mm-hmm. pointed shoes that women all yeah. wore because of Sex in the City? Yeah, you think that young people are going to be like, you know what? We should just get right back into dipping. Yes, I know this for a fact that it is going to oh, happen. It's oh, fact. Yeah. Yeah. I also. <laughs> I also, I'm glad you brought up the uh, bell bottom thing, because obviously now jinkos, like our straight up jinkos, are mainstream cool for the youngsters. And what's that? And for like jinko jeans, like the raver pants, you know, like the huge jeans. Oh yeah, raver pants yeah. slash rollerblader pants, however you want to um, go. Yeah. But, Got a lot uh, of pockets, or they're just big? Pockets, like, yeah, no, but they're just huge. Look at a JNCO, Jinkos, right? J-N-C-O. It's a big... Oh, that was the brand name, yeah. Yeah, and they're big the and they're black. Right? Or jean, or denim, any kind. It takes all kinds. Sometimes okay. you got a little tagging, graffiti on the big back pocket. Okay, gotcha. Point being, yeah. they're very popular. And I think that actually you can track fashion trends, like the larger trend of fashion, with one bellwether, and that simply the diameter of the cuffs on a given pair of pants, right? I'm telling you like from like 2005 all the way through, I'm gonna say like five to eight years ago, we were just in a period of contraction. Yeah. Think about the jeans you used to wear in San Francisco in the year 2009. Mm -hmm. Tell me, tell me that those didn't have fairly 
you know, constricted cuffs. Yeah, yeah. Now, skinny once, jeans too right, were a thing. Skinny jeans, there you go. And, and it now, went all the way here, to non-existent with joggers, right? Where it's like not, there's boom. no cuffs at all. It's they, no cuffs at all. They're actually, now, it's like eroding up your ankle. Like uh, There it is. Like a See, California shoreline. I'm glad that you're smelling what I'm cooking here. And now, yeah. and now here we are in the mid-20s. We're... We're we're seeing the expansion, baby, and it and it is perhaps at its peak in the form of Jinkos. Could also have something to do with at any given point in time the risk attached to something running up your pant leg. And if you have a mm. wider pant cuff, then oh. there's less of a fear of something running up it because the streets are cleaner or whatever. But then when it's narrower yeah. or it's, non-existent, it's like no, it's you have prime. to sort of, you have to batten down the hatches. All I'm going to say, I, I, while I can't wait to see what happens next, I'm just going to say I'm not going back to skinny jeans no. ever. Well, you say that now. I'm done. Stephen, you say that now. No, this is it. Okay. This is it. This is your promise to us? Never again with the skinny jeans? Never again. You can't, You lose all your shit. Yeah. How many times did the car keys fall out of your pants in 2009? I'll have to check my journal, but I'm sure a lot. Right. You know who should be covering the risk of invasion of the wide-legged pant? Um, there's probably a lot of options, but there's probably a lot. But who? Washington Post. I mean, I'm thinking. Washington Post. Was, oh, I was gonna say, I was gonna say Dockers. That's fair. They, they, say, I'm like, sure the, doc, the Dockers blog. There's probably some, yeah, the corporate research. No, the the Washington Post of Washington D.C. Okay. Um, they're an organization that, in addition to all the other things that I'm sure they report on, are really interested in and particularly lately, really interested in things that might run up your leg. There was a story in the Washington Post that just came out. Washington is full of rats. These dogs are happy Ooh. to help with that. And it's a story of a band of crusaders with their various terrier mixes who go out into the streets of D.C., into unnamed D.C. neighborhoods, unnamed because the people in the neighborhoods, the restaurateurs and whatnot, didn't want to be named. They go... Mm with their dogs, and they turn them loose in the alleys and the streets. And these dogs, yeah, I don't know how to say, they just fuck the rats up. I mean, they... They really, really do some serious damage. Did you look at those pictures? Almost like they're, they're, like, like they're really leading, leaning in. Like, sure, it's a story, but it's also basically just a photo essay of domestic dogs just taking rats out. Um, it's insane, right? This is a group called the Rat Scallions, and there's... Three yeah. or five well, let's, of them. Yeah, let's pause there, too. Yeah. What's the name of that group the again? Rat Scallions. Yeah. Perfect. I could hear that yeah. all day. They're mostly terriers, right? And so, and terriers, of course, are dogs that are traditionally called ratters, I That's believe. right. I was walking my own dog today, who is a terrier, and I encountered a mm -hmm. fellow on the street who has a cairn terrier, which is uh, one of the mm -hmm. dogs who's like the James Bond of rat killing in the story, this little cairn terrier. Kills the most rats. Yeah. And I was telling this this neighbor, hey, there's a story about your breed just killing rats. Mm -hmm. And he's like, oh, yeah, well, the Cairn Terrier was bred uh, to keep rats out of Scottish cemeteries. People wanted their yep. bodies to be not chewed up because they believed their immortal souls were connected to having, you know, intact bodies. Wait, sorry. So were the dogs, like, digging up? <laughs> they were exhuming? <laughs> they kill the rats, and the rats don't show up to people, and then the people can go to heaven. Yeah. But, yeah, this story, yeah. Um, it's just a lot of images of these dogs and their handlers 
out in the streets of places that they've nicknamed Hell's Alley and the Kingdom of the Rats. How do you think these people organize? I mean, if this the is rats not gallons? Facebook, I don't know what it is. This is like what if Facebook is made what for. This is not what Facebook groups are, are <laughs> there nothing for. Else. You know you're in for a good time when the story starts. The sound of a rat screaming in the jaws of a terrier is the same sound that a stuffed squeaky <laughs> toy makes. It seems so obvious. Yeah. And then it goes from there. You got to get a, get a good hook, a lot of sensory imagery. Oh, yeah. Get yeah, and then there. it's just, you know, one hit after another. And the story itself is yeah. very good. It's really an interesting story about this group, and it talks about DC's rat infestation problem. But it's really the mm-hmm. photos that are yeah. so um, – provocative there's one picture of two dogs that are actually tugging at either end of a mouse about to pull it apart yeah a dog that got bit on the nose he's bleeding blood's gushing out of his nose you know these pictures kind of feel like they kind of feel like the same uh quality of like a 35 millimeter camera speaking of like 2009 they kind of feel like vice magazine 2009 Mm -hmm. like nightlife Mm -hmm. pictures where you know like it was just really sort of lo-fi the cobra snake yes it's like Cobra Snake did the the WAPO. I think that guy went to my high school, honestly. Yeah, like party picks where the flash is blowing up in people's faces. And in yeah. this story, it also works not only because there's the rats that are suddenly illuminated in this kind of high-intensity flash, but there are also people in the background going out to party. There's one picture of a mm-hmm. woman in a black, what looks like a black leather miniskirt with high heels and a pink tube top and she's just sort of walking by smiling somewhat awkwardly at the carnage that's going on in the foreground so weird and that and the thing is that that was like you know that made it through a round of edits they're like keep the keep the party girl in there with the rats um is there another animal whose gruesome demise you could depict so freely in a mainstream publication other than the rat you only ever see it when it's something that's intended to be negative or critical, right? You see a dead rhino or an elephant with its tusks chopped off or a poached leopard or something. It's always like these animals dying was very bad. But yeah. in this case, the heroes of the story are these ratters and are the, the dogs. dogs and their, their owners. And the rats are clearly the problem. I think another dimension to this story is that this isn't the first time that the Washington Post has dug deep on the problem of rats or the existence of rats or the killing of rats. Yeah, no, I would say that the Washington Post is obsessed with rats. Like, if you look back at their coverage, yeah, there's a bunch of stories that have come up in the last couple of years. Um, they made a video game story in October 2022 about rats invading DC. Like, it, you can play as a rat and, like, so jump weird. on a trash can and hit the E button and you'll eat some trash out of it. And, like, jump onto a... Whose idea was that, though? Like, what was what part of the story is that furthering? Or is that just trying to, like, sell digital subscriptions? Like, what? Their, why? Their little caption at the game? end was... At the end of this story was, We tried a different approach to storytelling with this rat project. We did on-the-ground reporting, going out a half dozen times with rat control teams in the city, talking to residents, interviewing rodent experts, and attending a two-day rat academy with about 80 rat catchers. Etc. Etc. With that information, instead of writing just a traditional text story, Stephen, we integrated the reporting with a video game and fact boxes 
to give the reader a fun experience. So with a video game, as you know, the idea is that you identify with the character that you're playing. So in this case, they have a cute rat. They show the cute rat yeah. eating cute trash, drinking cute water out of a fountain, and then yeah. sneaking into a person's apartment. And then the second level is like running around in the apartment. And then there's story that builds out what the rat's doing in this place. So there's kind of an adorable uh, acceptance of the rat. Well, that's weird that they're trying to build empathy for the rat that then they're just like, hey, I'm glad you've really connected emotionally with this rat because the next many, many stories are going to be about that little dude's whole family getting killed. Right along with that story, there was another story about tips from rat catchers. Last year, Mm -hmm. there was another story that was about New York hiring a rat czar. There's an obit on that Cambodian uh, rat that snuffed out all those mines and saved all those people that was sort of a positive story gotta you gotta tell both sides see you gotta you it look if you're gonna do the rat story and just be yeah i don't think it's i think that their reporting is weirdly balanced in that they're obsessed with it they're trying to apparently tell both sides there was a 2020 op-ed on how to keep rats away in dc right when they were sort of finding their footing on what kind of rat story they wanted to tell and then in February of 2020, there was a story that was entitled simply, Rats Will Devour Your Car. So they come out with a fairly wow. strong um, opinion on the idea that rats are bad for the city. We need to tell people how to deal with this problem. We need to keep them informed. And then, like you say, they sort of oscillate between stories that are kind of sympathetic and kind of not. The blood sport story, where the dogs are destroying rats right and left, came out. A day later, Stephen, Mm. in the very same publication, the Washington Post runs a story about how rats can teach us about how play is good for mental health. Yeah. Okay. See, what are you doing? It's tough. What are you doing? It's tough out there to be a rat or a person. Suddenly, there are these unassuming sages. You identify with the rats. Rats love to play. That's the story that runs the day after the story where two dogs are playing tug of war with a rat. It's a very complicated issue, Stephen. It's very complicated. I'm feeling pushed and pulled in many directions emotionally not unlike that rat like the rat yeah. between the two you one thing it. that i think saw it coming <laughs> to go back to the question of why this recent story is so intensely violent I, I couldn't figure it out it definitely seemed like it was more violence than needed to be for the story i mean I, you know again the story itself the writing was very interesting and compelling and whatever and the pictures i was like well i don't know you could probably run a few fewer of those But I think what happened was, check this out. This is Washington Post, Washington, D.C., nation's capital. This story comes out September. In April of this year, Washingtonian Magazine, a glossy in that city, runs the same story. They run their version of the rat catchers. Mm Mm-hmm. The rat scallions? Same story. Oh my gosh! Yeah. These guys are getting good press this year. Who's their? They're getting some great press. That story yeah. was a bit more like what you'd expect. Like you see the people in the alley, you see the dogs, you see some rats being chased, but it's not. It's it's you know it's PG thirteen. It's not NSFW <laughs> yeah. rat. Yeah. So I think part of the reason spree. Washington Post ran its story with more intense imagery is the same thing that happens in any kind of cultural exchange, right? Like you have to you have to up the limit. You have to go farther. You have to go harder. You got to up the ante. Yeah. Fox News is just going to yeah. mail you a dead rat. <laughs> yeah. yeah. How do you top this story? Well, 
<laughs> throw a rat at your door. <laughs> yeah, it's a direct mail program. They'll print something fun on the rat, you know, about <laughs> whatever, tuning into the new yeah. Hannity or something. And the theme of this story is also interesting, which is about like what's natural and what's not. Obviously, the rats are in the city unnaturally mm-hmm. because we have created this environment that's so dirty that they have all of these environments that they can run around. And the dogs are doing what the dogs have been bred to do. And so as one of the owners said, she likes that her dog is getting to exercise his instincts because, quote, I don't want to breed my terriers down to the point that they're nothing but a Yorkie, which is pretty sick burn. That's pretty sick burn. Ooh, shots fired. Yeah, I mean, I I would push back on this idea that they're not naturally there. Like, it's all the world, and we created a habitat that in which they can thrive and then they kind of co-evolved with the humans in the cities to live live amongst the cities right i mean that's yeah but if there's fewer the plague, if there's right? less trash i mean it was less, happening in rome you know, abandoned buildings and and so on less garbage in the streets then there won't be as many yeah get rid of the oh, pigeons yeah. get rid of the crows like wh- where does it end man well that's a bigger question steven i where does it end see now i'm i'm kind of taking on this sort of yeah you're ra- pro rat pro yeah. rat stance just because you know what i like to do brandon no i like to fight for the underdog man and in this case the underdog is not a dog but in fact that's a good point a rat there is (laughs) there are some interesting politics in this story and in the original washingtonian story there's this organization called the humane rescue alliance which Mm -hmm. does adoptions and stuff and so they have this criticism of oh we shouldn't let these dogs go do this to these rats it's inhumane and it furthers aggressive behavior in the dogs so then naturally the question is well what's your solution okay then the humane rescue alliance's solution is well we have all these feral cats that can't be homed so we would just turn them loose to kill the rats uh-huh just a freaking gladiator match yeah. but is that really that different i mean for the rats right uh, you know i don't know i don't know which one's better for the rats what being hunted by a a, a a cat just like lurking in the shadows or seeing these dumb terriers coming down the block and knowing it, it's your time dog will kill you in a few seconds cat might mess with you also like these dogs are on leashes these do- the dogs are on leashes too so like the rats they corner them there's one dog that's called a pusher he flushes them out and then the other ones are waiting waiting mm-hmm. in ambush and then they get them and they zap them it's five seconds apparently just to do a quick shake Ooh. it breaks her snaps her spine and then that's it Wow. They carry around a bag. Yeah, they fill them up. And then at the end, they take a photo with all of the rats laid out like a trophy photo. Wow. It's, it's interesting times in D.C. Wow. And they all go drink at, oh, uh, mm-hmm. they all go yeah. drink at O'Clooney's yeah. or some shit like a bunch of right. drunken cops the, at 2 a.m. O'Clooney's. O'Clooney's? Yeah. No. Yeah, it's not O'Clooney's. That, that's just like O'Clooney. <laughs> That was like that was like a I was like that was like my chat GPT brain was just yeah. like think of a Irish bar where cops would drink at two AM. I wondered if DC actually had a worse rat problem than other places and that's why they were covering it. But then luckily Orkin, the pest control service, does a survey of the rattiest cities in the United States every year. Amazing. They rank metro regions by the number of new rodent treatments. Okay, so in twenty twenty two DC's fourth, Stephen. Yeah. <laughs> DC's the fourth rattiest city. Number three? LA third. Yeah. Okay. I see where you're going. See? Yeah. Two. New York City? One. Chicago. 
City of big shoulders. Mm -hmm. But so if you look at L.A. Times coverage of the rat problem, I was like, well, are they going to have that many stories? And in fact, not so much. There was a big flurry of rat stories in the L.A. Times in 2021, which I think was all kind of spillover from the world reopening after the pandemic. Mm -hmm. But then after that, yeah, yeah, you see, you know, a school's infested here or something. But they do not love the rat story the way the Washington Post loves the rat story. They got a beat. They got a beat, yeah. They got to be complicated. And you know what? And to your point, you're you're correct. It's complicated and it's surprisingly balanced. And that actually reminds me of a story that came out this week that um, at least when it first came out, I noticed that it it, it really didn't feel that balanced. Oh. And it felt like it, it should have been because of the subject oh, matter specifically. Because it's, it's a story that is about no, Mexican aliens. Mexican aliens. Uh. <laughs> Stephen, I thought we were going to well, get no, through sorry, this week Peruvian, without Mexican per, aliens. Th- but you can't do it. Well, that wasn't on your bingo card. So, mm-hmm. yeah, no, but Peruvian aliens that were displayed, alleged Peruvian aliens that were displayed in Mexican sure, Congress. Right. So, yeah, this story came out. Everybody picked it up, like literally every, everybody everywhere. It was an international story. Um, here is at least what the story is. A, a self-described ufologist and journalist, Jaime Moisan, presented to Congress in Mexico two tiny little figures in caskets that um, look pretty much like the Hollywood version of an alien. It looks like E.T., basically. And they were found amongst all this fossilized rock, etc., uh, in some caves in Peru that were conveniently located next to uh, the site of the Nazca Lines, which are um, these large symbols, art pieces that were made by indigenous cultures in Peru many, many years ago. And there's, of course, many theories about alien intervention, you know, in terms of making them, because these are images, the Nazca lines that can only be seen in their their entirety from very high. I think of them as like tattoos for the earth. You know, the spider kind of looks like a tramp stamp a little bit. So again, this guy... Uh, Jaime uh, alleges that these things are a thousand years old. They were DNA tested by members of a, of a very prestigious university in, in Mexico, etc. So here's what struck me when this when the story came out. I was reading it and I read this, you know, in Reuters, the Reuters from the news. Read this in NPR. These are mainstream trusted sources. Neither of them really did the sort of work of saying. Hey, you know, maybe don't, you know, believe everything that you're hearing here. It really just focused on essentially what was allegedly happening. So in their defense, they both did mention like several paragraphs down and very briefly that the same person had presented similar corpses before and they were debunked. And they did mention that briefly. And then they just go right back into like basically the, whoa, we are not alone. One of the pieces actually... The NPR story ended with a quote from Masson saying, we are not alone, right? So the whole vibe in both of these stories from two very trusted news sources was like, hey, this is it. Buckle up. The aliens are real. That was seriously the energy coming from these stories, okay? Earlier Mm -hmm. today, I was like, okay, I got to pull these stories for the show today. And when I pulled the stories, they had been updated, right? They say so in a little... In, in, in just, you know, the little timestamp at the top. And I was like, wait a second. This is crazy. I, I, because the, the, the news stories, when I was looking at them today, were, in fact, 
balanced. And to both NPR and Reuters' credit, like, they were balanced. So, I did a little thing, and I hope that uh, if you take nothing away from this show today... Which I plan not to. Other than... Because I travel light. The knowledge of the fact that the website I'm about to share with you Mm -hmm. exists, that's fine with me, too. There is this thing called the Wayback Machine, which is... Uh, run by the folks at the Internet Archive, a wonderful nonprofit based in San, in in San Francisco. That essentially, what's that? It's based at right. a former church in the Richmond District right of San Francisco. Wonderful cool little headquarters. Go check it out. Yep. Getting away from the story. This is my journey. <laughs> so the Internet Archive runs this thing called the Wayback Machine. And what the Wayback Machine does is that it takes snapshots of the Internet. You can search and see exactly what was published on that website at a specific point in time. Sort of like a mummy of the news. Not unlike a mummy of the news. So I head over to the Wayback Machine. I take the URL of the NPR story that is now fair and balanced. Hit the first available snapshot of the day from yesterday. And lo and behold, I wasn't crazy. The first, it it was a total like fluff piece about the aliens are real. So just to really give you an idea, this is how the NPR piece that they first ran with ends. Quote, the hearing also included remarks by Ryan Graves, executive director of the Americans for Safe Aerospace Organization. A former Navy fighter pilot, Graves was one of the three U.S. veterans who testified in front of a U.S. congressional subcommittee investigating the existence of UFOs in July. Mexico's Congress also was shown videos of Mexican pilots struggling to make sense of fast-moving flying objects before them. Quote, we are not alone, Masson claimed. That's the conclusion of the NPR article when it first came out, okay? And then they went ahead and updated it several hours later. Quote, we are not alone, Masson claimed. Next paragraph. On Wednesday, the day after the hearing, Graves distanced himself from it. Quote, unfortunately, yesterday's demonstration was a huge step backwards for this issue, he wrote. He goes on to say, my testimony centered on sharing my experience and the UAP reports I hear from commercial and military air crew through ASA's witness program. I will continue to raise awareness of UAP as an urgent matter of aerospace safety, national security, and science, but I am deeply disappointed by this unsubstantiated stunt. Yeah. I would say that's a slightly different tone than the original piece, would you? It certainly adds something to it. And just to point out, Ryan Graves is a Navy pilot who back in 2017 yeah. sort of kicked off the modern UFO thing in the New York Times story because he was the one who said that the Navy was seeing all of these UFOs. And so he's become a luminary in the UFO world going around talking about yes. aliens are real, I've seen them, whatever. So when that guy comes back and says, oh, wait, this isn't what I thought, turns out these weird little action figures aren't aliens at all, but are, as Wired says, Quote, believed to be a muddle of human and animal bones held together with glue and fake skin. Kind of a necessary context. (laughs) And I think what would be the responsible thing here is what you do at times like this with like a breaking news story, something going on in Ukraine or a disaster, is that you add the new stuff at the top and you say updated whatever time and then you add the new thing so that you can see the work that they're doing. You can see, oh, this is what the original version is. Here's the new version, rather than the kind of gloss. I mean, you could also, their argument will be, well, you know, it doesn't really make much difference because people are living in the now and they're not, like some people, digging into the archives of the internet itself to try and find these old versions, sniffing around like a terrier in search of the rat of truth. 
find out what's going on. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think this is exactly the sort of thing that the news agencies are incentivized to get a story out quickly because everybody's going to cover it, as you said. So you go with what you got and then yep. you put up a story and then you immediately yep. are making phone calls, phone calls, phone calls to try and get people to say yes, no, or maybe. But you can feel kind of safe yeah. saying, look, we know that this guy presented this thing. We know that he was rebutted in the past. But the important thing is yeah. just to lay it out as it is. Yeah, I think this is remember exactly what I texted you. I said, hey, here's this aliens thing. Even if it's fake, it's the story. It's still a story because this is crazy that this all unfolded in, you know, the highest level of government in Mexico. Like it's still it's a crazy story regardless on its face, even if it is like paper mache and dog teeth or whatever. You know what I mean? Like where I think the irresponsible reporting occurred here is that it's a story that is already extremely unbelievable and extremely ripe for speculation and conspiracy theories. And so you would think there is a certain degree of even handling with care that would be assumed when you're a mainstream trusted news outlet to in your approach to this yeah. thing. But instead, you're right. As you said, they wanted to run to the the shiny object and get that stuff out first well or yeah or dig more deeply into because remember that this stuff was debunked in 2017 that's the thing that the story could have yeah. dug into that and been like we've been down this road before with this guy he said the same stuff years ago rather than one line about it they had all that available to him yeah totally one line to your to, yeah and to their credit too they did that was the but balance but more. like there that didn't yeah. get a lot of ink yeah. well, definitely anywho it is true that even if the story, while almost certainly false in terms of like the veracity of the aliens being real that were shown in Congress, the story is still a story because that wackadoodle sure. shit happened. And then it's also a story, I think, because digging a little bit deeper, you can see, and it, we're all reminded by the fact that in this super rapid news cycle that is also very competitive, you know, amongst different organizations, we, we all have to take a moment to sort of look down on the ground and see what kind of critters are, you know, scuttling up our pant legs. That's right. The critters of truth or the critters of absolute falsehood. <laughs> I mean, I think that makes really good sense. Yeah, you know, the thing I think about is that people are moving at a certain pace, running into and out of their various alleyways, and they're going to pick up information as they do. And so, you know, that first yeah. version may be the only access that somebody has to the story, and then they go on and they're like, there oh, I is. don't know, there was this story about these Mexican aliens. People who are inclined to believe it are going to have their f beliefs reinforced, and people who don't are going to be skeptical. But the story really makes me think of the news as like a deck of cards that somebody's fanned out. And it's like... Pick a card and, you know, whatever card you pick, that's sort of the version of the story you're going to get at any given point in time. Somebody walking mm -hmm. around offering these different snapshots of this particular story around so that, you know, if you check into it earlier, it's going to be a less skeptical story. And if you check in later, it's going to be more. But you won't necessarily yeah. follow it up. You'll just be like, oh, I don't know. Or you'll disregard it or it'll get filed away like so much of the other stuff that goes on in our lives. Like, a lot of people probably just read that quick, crazy little alien story and then told all their buddies at the bar. And then, you know, again, that's kind of how this sort of misinformation, etc., can spread really quickly. And then that's the version of the story that just yeah. lives in their head now. Yeah. They could have run a more responsible version of the story from the beginning because, like I said earlier, we've been down this road before. He has presented these aliens before. So you could certainly front yeah. load the story by saying, guy who keeps presenting aliens presents aliens again and they still look like little action figures exactly 
One thing I do like is there are so many factions that want to get a piece of this. And one of those, which I feel like didn't get a whole lot of attention, was the World Committee on Mummy Studies, which came in and was like, I don't know what this is, but I can promise you it's not a mummy. (laughs) They like came in and they laid a hammer down on that. This is not a fucking mummy. Yeah. Maybe it's an alien. Jeez. But we know our mummies. Mummy burn. And when you burn a mummy, it burns up. You don't want to mess with those guys either because you know what happens. You get burned? They're all asleep. And then suddenly they sort of just like all sit up from the torsos all wrapped up, you know? Uh, Yeah. Are you talking about just a bunch of mummies in a room? Like a bunch of actual Egyptian? You think that the World Committee of Mummy Studies is mummies? Yeah, that's what this organization is, right? It's just all Mummies. mummies. Finally getting a fair shake. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, this is an ongoing story. <laughs> Much like the rats in D.C. are this ongoing saga yeah. of pro and con that apparently Washington Post particularly is wrestling with itself about the you know our relationship to this particular aspect of the natural world. Obviously, the UFO story has been going on for years. I mean, it's been going on for decades and decades, yep. but this more recent version started in 2017 with the story in New York Times and continues to perpetuate. And, you know, just today... NASA was going to promise to look into it, and they released their first report, 36 pages, which didn't say much other than recommendations for how to go about investigating this stuff. So mm-hmm. UFOs or UAPs or whatever are hot commodity, and yep. and you have to sort of think about it, I think, like it's a soap opera a little bit. Like there's a number of these players. Ryan Graves, the pilot, he shows up in this stuff a lot. And another guy who we haven't mentioned, yeah. a guy named Avi Loeb, who's a – very famous astrophysicist at Harvard. He's the guy who back in 2017, mm-hmm. when that long cigar-shaped asteroid was coming through, he was the one that posited in this paper that it might be an alien vessel of some kind. And that kind of set him off on his career. And now he's at Harvard running a program, and he has like amazing credentials. He was the chair of Harvard's Department of Astronomy, the founding director of Harvard's Black Hole Initiative. He did a lot of stuff with astrophysics. And anyway, now he runs the Galileo Project, which is the Harvard's like official mm. E.T. hunt. So he even shows up at this big reveal, this unboxing of these aliens on video. And he says, It is arrogant to think that we are alone in the universe. Probably the existence of these beings predates the human presence on Earth. So even after all the correctives, he's still out there pointing to these guys, this Harvard astrophysicist, and giving them mm-hmm. kind of a, a rubber stamp, giving them the thumbs up. So yeah. that kind of stuff pulls the story forward in a way that, you know, even if you correct things, there's still going to be this sort of bleed into future stories. For sure. It could be the biggest, quote, news story slash story, like civilization sure. level news, you know, of, of human history is that, you know, we're not alone and there's intelligent life, etc. I think what we're also getting back to is like even folks like that and I think the people who are like seriously trying to find these aliens, it's similar to sort of the process of government, too, where it's boring when it works. Science also is boring Weird. most of the time. And then yeah. you get these breakthroughs. And um, it, it's it's interesting that this, you know, mummy story, the alien E.T. mummy story popped up because the mm-hmm. week before this, the James Webb Space Telescope spotted um, some methane and carbon dioxide on an exoplanet that's about 120 light years from Earth. And of course, these are sort of chemical signs of life. So now all of a sudden, this exoplanet has 
risen the ranks uh, of importance in, you know, these sort of possible locations that would be harboring life of any kind, of course, is it microbial? Is it just like sort of lichen, you know, whatever. But still, that's like more scientifically sound potential evidence of the potential for life outside of Earth. So that also, all of this is happening far, far away. I did, I I heard that story and did you hear who they were sending to that planet first to make sure it's safe for humans? You know what I did not? Rat scalers. People and their dogs chasing out space rats. (laughs) They, they, They got a proven track record. Take those tiny aliens and shake them by the neck until they're dead. And then it'll be safe for us to move right in. And you know what they're wearing? Something comfortable, I assume. Big old freaking jeans. Big pants. It's a safe planet. Well, Stephen, this has been Journos. I'm Brandon R. Reynolds. And I'm Stephen Jackson. So if you liked what you heard today and you're interested in hearing more, you want to tell us what you want to hear, or you want to tell us that we said something wrong, why don't you go ahead and drop us a line. You can find us at journos at journos.net. Bring your dog. <laughs>